0: welcome to top of mind the show where we talk to real estate industry insiders and experts about the biggest trends impacting the market today
1: enjoy the show
0: mike simonson here welcome to the top of mind podcast i'm mike from altos research thanks for joining us the top of mind podcast is where i talk to the smartest leaders thinkers and doers in the real estate industry to provide some context and perspectives beyond the market data that we put out every week at Altos Research. At Altos, we track every home for sale in the country, all the pricing, the supply and demand, all the changes in that data and we make it available to you before you see it in the traditional channels. People desperately need to know what's happening in the housing market right now, especially as fast as the landscape is changing right now. So If you're asking, where can I get the data for my local market? The answer is you can get it from Altos Research. Visit altosresearch.com, do do a free consultation. We'll look at the data in your local market. We can talk about how you use market data in your business. So without further ado though, I'm thrilled to introduce my guest today, Darren Mm -hmm. Blomquist. Darren is a widely recognized authority in housing and mortgage industries and is currently the vice president of market economics at auction.com where he analyzes forecasts all the complex economic data trends uh, to provide the unique insights on housing uh, often well before the headlines and darren and i have done some stuff on stage together and and auction has auction.com has some unique a unique view on the world so i'm looking forward to discussing that today prior to joining auction.com Darren was the VP at Atom Data Solutions, where his research and uh, reports were cited by thousands of media outlets nationwide. So he's somebody I've been very eager to catch up with Mm -hmm. for a while. So I'm super excited to have
1: this conversation. Darren, welcome. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, it's great to be here. I've I've wanted to catch up with you as well for a while. <laughs> yeah, and, and I enjoy seeing all the stuff that Altos, Altos Research puts out, and certainly it's some of the most uh, real time data I see. The first kind of first kind of data I see on the market before a lot of the headlines come out. So that's that is really cool and uh, really good to be speaking with you today. That's terrific. So
0: um, so let's start with with you and auction.com for our listeners who don't know auction.com and and you in particular why don't you give us
1: a uh, an overview what what is what's auction.com doing yeah what we're doing is we're a online marketplace for uh foreclosure and bank owned properties so we're the largest distressed marketplace out there and when i say marketplace i mean marketplace that you know i think that word is kind of used loosely sometimes but uh, just to hit that point home, we actually are transacting on on properties. We're the platform. We're not we're not the seller or the buyer. We're the platform, and we facilitate as much of a transparent marketplace as we can, so the sellers and buyers are both uh, happy with the outcomes and get the you know the best uh, best price on both sides of the equation that they can and uh so we're yeah we're just to to hit that point home even in this market where uh foreclosure inventory is severely restricted or has been severely restricted <clears throat> and was already low before the pandemic we're transact we're we're bringing to auction on the two sides of the the equation foreclosures and bank owned properties or REO properties um about let's see 4500 properties a month this year okay and so there's but if you compare that back to 2019 i was just looking at this to to get my numbers right but we were seeing about um closer to almost 15,000 properties brought to auction a month now one thing in 2019 so in 2019 was considered a low watermark and it was a low watermark for foreclosure activity so we've come down from there but we are still we're, we're transacting on, on I would say, a pretty high volume of property still um, relative to at least anywhere else. And one of the really cool things uh, that I get to look at is, you know, we're seeing it's, a, it's an auction platform. So there's bidding going on and we're seeing that behavioral activity right in real time around a property um, price realization happening in real time, basically. Uh, within at least of the foreclosure auction, that happens in a matter of minutes uh, that a property goes from being available for auction to being sold in most cases. And and so that's happening very quickly, but we're capturing that bidding behavior. We're capturing the credit bid that the bank is setting the property at, how much they think it's worth, and uh, and how much they're willing to set that credit bid at. And so there's a lot of really cool information there that helps us uh, see what what is happening in the market, and I consider it the front lines of the market in many ways, uh, because these the people who are buying on our platform are investors typically, who are buying the homes and either renovating them and reselling them as, as flips or renovating them and holding them as rentals. But they're investors who are very, very hyper aware of the conditions in their market typically, because they they're selling back into that market
0: yeah so tons there to get to there's so much there I want to get to uh the the foreclosure inventory where we are I want to talk about that where we are now and where we'll be in the future like there's some real meat there and I'm also interested in diving in more on the what we're seeing right now with that bidding activity uh in in a world where the the Consumer buyer has backed way off, so lots to cover there. Before we get there, uh, tell me about how you got found your way to to this role at auction.com because you have a ton of data there and you present it very well. Um, and so, so give me your background. How did you get there? Uh, how did you end up in our in our crazy little corner of the universe?
1: Yeah, I stumbled into the, this crazy corner of the universe probably about uh, twenty years ago. I moved from Illinois to California because my wife is from California and we met in Illinois but we were like let's go somewhere where we have family. So we came back to California. I got a while I was looking for a real job, I got a temp job at this little company called Realty Track, which is a startup and uh with maybe 5 to 10 people and that was in 2001 about uh you know, very soon after I got there, we got placement on Yahoo, which was a big deal back then. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so we blew up. where was a subscription service? People would it was and Realty track was a foreclosure uh, a foreclosure listing service, basically, this idea of you don't have to go down to the courthouse and get the information. We'll post it online for you. All this information about the properties that are up for foreclosure. And anyway, the 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 we blew up after we got on Yahoo. Basically, is a short and simple way to say it. And that that company took off uh, between 2002 and 2005. And and then in 2005, we started putting out um, uh, a, a report. And this was with a fellow friend of ours, Rick Sharga. He came on board. At Realty track, and uh, we, we said, Let's put out how do we get some attention for our company? Let's put it, we have all this data around foreclosures, let's put it out, put out a report. Started doing that in 2005, and all of a sudden, the numbers in about 2006 started spiking, and we were reporting these amazing, um, uh, sensational, some might call percentage increases in foreclosure. And we got a lot of criticism that you're you're overstating the numbers you're double counting the numbers and all of a sudden then in a couple years later people had to kind of admit and we weren't doing everything right we actually didn't even know all of what we were doing but um we actually did turn out to be I think right that there was a problem brewing
0: yeah for sure you're one of the few people uh who've been have been at it in this space longer than i have these days you know we uh i started uh altos in january 1 of 2006 so like wow. that's uh you know it's been in there and, and that was a real ride for realty track that was a real
1: rocket ship right place at the right time for that company yeah what's interesting is that the company did well during the housing boom we got a lot of attention during the the downturn because we have all this data on foreclosures, but that actually helped us uh, realize and evolve into a company that uh, that sold data became more of a B two B company as a, uh, opposed to B two C because we realized there's a lot of value for businesses in this data in a bulk format as opposed to uh, just an online one by one property consumer format, and so that that's the rest of the story is. Is uh, between maybe about 2009 and uh, 2015, we transitioned into Atom Data Solutions, which is uh, a company that that licensed data and uh, licensed the the data in bulk, and not just the foreclosure data. It was all around the the, the broader real estate data. And but then in in 2000, what was it 2019? I came over to Auction.com. Um, I had been familiar with them for some time. And uh that just uh turned out to be a position that that uh that was tailor-made really for me, um, in my opinion. And so it came over here and it's been a great ride. It's been a very interesting ride since then, of course, here uh with uh with what's happened since 2019.
0: Sure. Okay. That's a terrific summary. And uh and I appreciate that that perspective. You know, I moved from Illinois to California. Mine was oh. about it's uh you know 9899 that's as i say two bubbles ago to move into <laughs> to silicon valley um but uh um yeah so okay so um have you've been in the foreclosure data space for 20 years watching the properties that get foreclosed that uh have to get taken over by the bank or turned over and auctioned. Um, and then during the pandemic, we had a foreclosure moratorium. Well, let's even start before that. 2019, as you point out, was already low, few numbers of homes in foreclosure. And primarily that's because mortgage rates were cheap and people had equity. Then the pandemic starts. We put in a foreclosure moratorium because a lot of people lost their jobs um and then the market took off so even when people started working again they, and even when uh the, the moratorium no longer exists there's still very ultra few foreclosures happening um and so so let's uh start with so you said there's you guys are doing 4500 a month transactions now you were doing 15000 a month in 2019 say a third of that level uh from 2019 2019 was already low yeah
1: and and to clarify those are properties brought to auction not all of those sell um but we're actually seeing a much higher percent right now we're seeing close 50 to 60 percent of that those selling that sales rate is an indication of investor demand which we can talk about that actually has been fall just in the last few months Uh, I think somewhat leading or at least mirroring the overall consumer, those numbers have been coming down. But anyway, that just those, the the 4,500 and 15,000 are the properties brought to auction available, basically inventory. And then of those, you know, 50 to 60% are, are, uh, are selling or actually selling.
0: Yeah. Um, And so what else do we need? what else should we know about those 4,500 properties? What so it's I think it's interesting that they've they've obviously we've had a ton of investor demand um, and, may, and that you can imagine I know some investors who are like taking a wait and see approach right now. Um, so what else what are the characteristics of those homes of the, that market of those trends what should we know about those 4500 homes
1: a month that are coming to to auction. Yeah, I think I, I think actually that's a great question because that it's not the uh the inventory that we saw during the foreclosure crisis of 2008 2009 where there was a lot of actually pretty new homes in pretty good condition that we're selling these 4500 are really the the bottom of the barrel I mean for whatever reason there, we get a lot of the questions like why would anybody get foreclosed in this this housing market with so much equity but there are, unfortunately, there there's situations where properties are in such poor condition, um, and in in situations that are just uh, and you know the best option for the homeowner actually is to to get out of there, uh, and so that's what those 4,500 are. Those are the 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 highly scratch and dent. I don't know if I like that term, but the the highly distressed properties that. Uh, need often substantial renovation uh, and that's why they're they're going to foreclosure and they are I mean geographically they're all over the country we're nationwide but uh, we do see the most inventory still in the northeast and um, rust belt or kind of the the high the highest invert inventory in terms of per per capita I guess you could say and um yeah those that's that's what those 4500 are there's a high percentage of just slightly disproportionate percentage of fha mortgages there uh, tend to be a little bit more risky in this environment right so
0: the fha mortgages uh they did they typically allow you to put zero or three percent or something less down on the mortgage and is that is that typically what the makes them more risky
1: Yes, yeah, they're they're, uh, they're more risky because of the down payment. A combination of the the low down payment, along with uh, especially uh, starting around two thousand fourteen, FHA started loosening some of their requirements around debt to income ratios. That started going up, and um, and some other factors. But yeah, that that makes them more risky. So th- yeah, they tend to be borrowers that are just a little bit more financially uh, uh stretched and and so uh, uh, any kind of shock can unfortunately something push happened. them over the edge yeah
0: okay so um and then if the house isn't well maintained then you're like you're like i can't make the mortgage and it's really hard to sell this thing because it's it's a bit of a wreck and or we haven't been there in a year or what two years or something since the pandemic and uh, and now we just don't want to deal with it anymore. And those types of things start are what coming to market. Um, are there signals in that data that that's changing at all? You know, this year we we've got sort of wrenching economic changes, inflation. Uh, we've got uh, some GDP slowdown. So you know. Um, People still haven't really lost their jobs, but like, uh, you know, is there any signal that 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 type of property is is um, is changing? So, for example, you know, you said you're in the most commonly in the northeast, and Rust Belt is
1: where we're finding those properties now. Um, But the average age, by the way, and there's a great study done by the Urban Institute that you're Listeners can maybe look up if they're, if they really want to deep dive into this. The Urban Institute looked at some of our data a couple of months, a few months ago. And one of the things they keyed in on is how old the properties are. I think the average age, depending on what cut of our properties you're looking at, it's, it's uh, around um, 1960 that they're, they were built. Whereas the average age of, I believe the you might know this better than I do, but the average age I think of all homes nationwide is around 1978. So, or the average uh, year built, anyway. So, they're older properties that are, that again, leads into this more distressed piece. But to answer your question, we haven't seen a a, a, a shift yet that I have noticed in the data tore away from that distressed, um, you know, really classic distressed property. Uh, As opposed to just financially distressed, but maybe the condition isn't as distressed. Mm -hmm. Uh, We haven't seen that shift yet. I think you know, to your point, it starts for us. The biggest, you know, our funnel to properties on our site starts with unemployment, and so that hasn't that that lever has not changed. Now, when that starts going up, that has a, a trickle down effect on distress i mean that's the number one driver of of uh, delinquency
0: so that yeah so that's and the way i've been thinking about unemployment lately and the impact on housing is that you know if you're unemployed for 90 days and starting to feel like i'm not going to get i'm i'm not going to find a job anytime soon then you start really worrying about your money and you stop making mortgage payments and then it's another 90 days of not making mortgage payments uh, before you even really trigger, like it's some real, like you start getting delinquency notices, but you're not in a
1: foreclosure process yet. Is that correct? Is that a good way to? Yeah, think about it? yeah. There's, I mean, right. And I, I am very loosely. I almost think of it like from unemployment to uh, to what when it hits us. It's it the first thing. The first time we see it is when it's scheduled for foreclosure auction you know, that's going to be at least a year in most areas from that that shock event to when it's scheduled for foreclosure auction. And that, that may be a minimum. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, a lot of the properties we're dealing with, it, this one of the reasons that the Northeast is still heavy inventory is they have some of the longest foreclosure processes in the country, processes. Yep. And we're actually still dealing with uh with inventory that was that was created during the last housing bubble and and bust there like, believe it or like not like 10 years ago 10 plus years ago yes and so that's that's one of the kind of unintended consequences of that those lengthy foreclosure processes which are designed to protect the homeowner but you end up with this very delayed inventory distressed inventory coming out and it, it tends to be more highly distressed the longer it's delayed too
0: yeah that's really fascinating i know watching that uh the recovery markets the markets that had coming out of that out of the bubble the markets that uh had judicial foreclosure process you got to go to court took years longer to recover than the the you know the 90 days sold on the courthouse steps kind of states and and those were the fastest to recover coming out of the you know out of the the biggest mess really fascinating watch um so okay so one year between employment shock and the time when it's really starting to be inventory is a
1: yeah and i would say that's a minimum (laughs) a minimum and so this
0: is really fascinating right so you know right now we have ultra-low unemployment. So even if we start to see unemployment rise by end of the year, it's still probably low-ish, even if it's like, even if the economy is slowing way down and we get some, you know, we like it's still pretty low-ish. Uh, so then maybe shock uh, unemployment is mid-next year. So then we wouldn't even see inventory until middle of 2024
1: two years from now if from from something that happened now now i I do want to make the point that we are seeing our numbers rise uh our volume rise and it's gradually slowly gradually rise um and it's we believe it's and the data tells us it's primarily has to do with the the backlog from the pandemic there's not a huge backlog from the pandemic but there is a backlog of folks who got where the foreclosure process got stopped and it's slowly restarting so that um so volume is going up because of that tying back to that event but to your point yes for kind of new volume created out of maybe some of the the problems in the the economy that we're seeing now that would That would be, yeah, 23, 24 type of numbers that that we're talking about.
0: Yeah, that'll be really interesting. And then um uh the so yeah, so so the the some backlog climbing now. Are you seeing anything? One of the places I'm interested in watching are like the Boise, Salt Lake City, Austin, Texas markets, where we where we had, you know. People moving out of California, buying sight unseen, overbidding. It's okay to spend a million bucks in Boise because it's I was I just sold for a million and a half in LA. And mm-hmm. like, you know, and I'm getting more house. So um, but that stopped. And so we can watch markets in places like Boise. You now the percentage of homes on the market in Boise that have taken price reduction is like 59% right now. It's a big, it's really slow um and and it took people a very abrupt change so if i bought in boise in february and i overbid um and now i'm underwater mm-hmm. and or like i could i i could you know i, I assume i'm underwater and uh i look like i didn't take a long time to sell are you seeing are, are you a seeing anything there yet it seems early before that for that for those but um do you have any sense on when we might see uh distressed inventory in a place like a uh, boise uh that that you know where where people overbid more than any place else in the market uh austin texas yeah, phoenix uh, you know a couple of places like that as well How, what's the yeah. what's the horizon there
1: <clears throat> yeah i think uh where we would start to see some of that hit our, our radar would It's going to be another year or so really where we start to see the volume. Now, one of the things we see kind of on the another way to look at it with our data is through what the um, what the investors are doing on our platform, where where they're more aggressive in buying and where they're less aggressive in buying. And they are uh, they're definitely um, pulling back more in what I would consider the the hottest markets i i could pull this by um by metro too but i do i just by region just to cast a really ride wide uh net when when i looked at de- one of the demand metrics we look at is the number of times a property is that's available for auction is uh saved foreclosure auction is saved that's in it that's a strong user data of, user data on the website Yes. Yeah. So how many times how many people are saving that property? That's an indication they're probably going to bid on that property at the auction. And uh, so anyway, that saves per property has been consistently over the the last or this year, even um, the highest in the southeast and the west. So the west is those the Boise's of the world. The southeast is maybe like the Atlantis of the world. Or somewhere like that. That those have been super hot, market, hot markets. Those are getting. Those are the properties that are getting the most online saves. But where, that's also where we've seen the biggest drop in the last few months. Just starting in, really after peaking in February, um, in the southeast, for instance, forty-four saves per, per per property up for auction has gone down now to twenty-eight saves. Um, and in the West, 39 saves. At peaked in February as well. Now down to 24 saves. You know, getting close to half of the level. Whereas if you look at the Midwest and Northeast, our investors have stayed pretty steady there. Um, back in February, it was at, both of those were at 25 saves per property, and now they're at 20, 21 saves per property. So it's pretty close so so all that to say i i think our investors are becoming a lot more cautious about those markets there and in talking to some of those investors who are buying they're they're actually saying yeah we're we're shrinking our buy box becoming more conservative going to the areas that we're more confident in and the price points we're more confident in and so they are moving away from from those super hot markets and those super what they would call cyclical markets potentially um, and so I think that sets those markets up for even more potential um, downside in that you don't have you have the investors backing off of those markets, which is one one channel of demand, along with, of course, the the, the owner occupant.
0: Yeah. So demand. let me ask you this. So the the investors as a backstop for a slowing housing market, a slowing demand housing market. We we what's your take on how resilient investors are going to be? On the one hand, like they're looking if I've been buying in in Phoenix, I've stopped cold because I don't know what's going to happen next. But on the other hand, rents are pretty good. The rents aren't going down yet and so as a, as investment properties, like there may be the like the 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 math still works out just fine in terms of the cash flow. Um, so, or maybe it's a little, it's less because, because, you know, as mortgage rates have come up. So, so, uh, so what's your take on investors as a backstop or maybe not as maybe as a catalyst for further down, you know, yeah. Uh, cycle.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think dynamic they're going on, but I I think, see how I want to answer the question uh, in a couple of ways, maybe. But I, I do think when I look at, you know, I look at macro uh, macro housing data beyond just our data, and I do definitely see some concerning trends with investor activity in some of these markets that I think is, is speculative and actually mirrors a little bit of the patterns that we saw leading into 2006. Not that I want to compare this to, to that time exactly. Uh, and so I think there's that's a risk in this market is market uh, in especially local markets like a Phoenix that were have been highly um, propped up or stimulated by investor activity. They're more susceptible to a, a downturn when those those investors are much more fickle source of demand than owner occupants, and when those investors decide to pull out now. That said, I would say another way to answer that question is when when we pull our our, our buyers and when I talk to them and look, even looking at their behavior it's not this extreme they're not so scared of the market as some of the headlines <laughs> would make it sound. And so, yes, they're becoming more conservative. They are um they're shrinking their buy box, they're bidding they're bidding more conservatively, uh, but they're still bidding and they're still buying and there's, they still see opportunity. And, um, and, if, and yes, there's this kind of element of there's the opportunity now, and there's the op- potential opportunity if the market did correct or crash or whatever the word you want to use is. But at least the longer term investors are saying, yeah, this is my business. I'm going to keep buying. I'm going to find the deals. I'm going to, there's always opportunity in real estate. Um, I may have to change the way I'm acquiring the price I'm acquiring at, but they're continuing. And so they're, they're not, the sky is falling (laughs) situation. Um, but yeah, they're, they're also, they're, they're kind of starting to set aside the, the funds for, uh, or purchasing in even higher volume if there was a correction right so
0: so it sounds like you the investors that you see still have their cash uh they still want to be they still want to participate in and they are participating but maybe just a more focused uh a, a more focused buy box does that sound about right
1: that sounds that sounds exactly right yeah
0: um that's really that's really interesting so um in that sense it kind of the fact that they have cash uh and are waiting for opportunity is really that that one it tells me that that arbitrage evaporates very quickly it's like you know when 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 the covid market we had our downturn we had 3 weeks of down market <laughs> before people yeah. started buying Right, right, um, and you know, I know people in San Francisco who've been waiting for fifteen years with cash for the next downturn. They're like, oh, we're gonna go buy, you know, and they had three weeks of opportunity um <laughs> and so it'll be really interesting to see like that says that because that cash is there and because those people are in that business it it says to me, um that that investors probably do create some amount of backstop for a, a downturn to prevent a severe downturn because they're they start seeing they start seeing deals and they're gonna buy it
1: um is that yeah and that I sounds would, like good logic yeah. yeah i would i i think that's good logic for the most part i mean i think there's different tiers of investors there is there are uh, there are some of our buyers who if there is a downturn are going to get scared and stop buying uh, completely and uh, but others who are in for the long term who who would would be more of that backstop. Um, but you know that doesn't that doesn't mean that the market wouldn't they would stop the market from falling. but <laughs> I think there is there is a cushion there. there's enough my sense is there's enough uh, of that kind of dry powder sitting out there that would come into the market i think there'd have to be a there would have to be a correction for that to come into the market um but it would prevent the market from necessarily falling as as much as it did last time just because everybody saw a lot of people made out very well um Uh, buying during the last downturn and so there would be a lot of copycats i think yeah there's a lot of
0: people people look back and and you know we always fight we always fight the last war and so we look back and we want to see the crash coming uh you know people expect to see that a crash must come and and then they also see that i want to be there ready with my cash to to buy uh and buy virtue of having that perspective that actually prevents the whole thing from happening <laughs> <laughs> that's really really right. fascinating so that i mean i think the... to a, another comment you made in there which mm-hmm. were you said you see some mirrors to 2006 what yeah. are the mirrors that you do see what feels the same again it's always really easy to say it's different this time but what feels
1: the same as 2006 yeah two specific uh data points that I was looking at there are what I'd call short term flips, which whatever you want to debate the the what that means but for me for for me it meant uh homes that were flipped within six months or less uh-huh as opposed to longer than that obviously yep. uh so there was if you look at and this is using data from my own company adam um, and not so not just foreclosures everything and those numbers went up to uh, a level that was higher than 2005 for the first time at near the end of 2021 uh, looking at it on a quarterly basis. so there was a spike in those really short-term flips which I would con- consider potentially a little more speculative and then and some of that has you know may have to do with some of these eye buyer activity which would be lumped in with that flipping. but to me that's that looks you just look at it on a chart you see this parallel. And then another one that you look at in a chart and you see that parallel that looks the same um, is cash buyers, which is kind of a similar thing. But the number of cash buyers hit an all-time high in 2021. And I mean, by a long shot, and I'm trying to, don't have the numbers right in front of me, but um, those cash buyers were just flooding into the market and that was what we saw in 2005, 2006. The so, the, the numbers look very similar. it's just just higher now than they actually were back then.
0: So that's interesting. I didn't know that was a characteristic of the the O five period. More cash buyers at that time. Because is
1: is that yeah, true? More more cash buyers than that time, but there was that spike in cash buyer buying yeah Uh, back then as well yeah that kind of surprised me too because we we blame a lot of the 2005 on just everybody everybody being able to get a loan right
0: yeah over mortgaged right everybody was over mortgaged and and less equity but there were more cash buyers at that time too
1: yeah i mean there were there was a spike in cash buyers leading up to it i think that that would indicate um investors coming in potentially and a different, probably a different type of investor. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I haven't really dug into those numbers as to why, because that doesn't seem to correlate with the storyline yeah. <laughs> of 2005. Well, I
0: wonder, if, I wonder if it's the, I know a lot of the, the cash buyers this time were like, hey, I, I will pay with the cash to get the deal done so I can move to the top of the queue, but then I'm going to refinance, I'm going to finance it out in uh 60 days or something after i've got the deal closed um and they were just they were simply using cash as a as a negotiating tactic even though they were ultimately going to have it um financed. but that's interesting i didn't realize that, that the cash buyers were doing that in 2005 too so those are real parallels and i i'm with you on the flips um where you know the the when you're looking at like the 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 deadly move of 2006 was i'm going to get the teaser rate at 1.1 percent and then and then i'll just when that thing in a year when it resets to six i won't be able to make the payment but i'll either refi or i'll sell it at that point and and then all of a sudden you couldn't sell it um yeah and so those flips uh i think we at least don't have that part of the market now, right? We don't have people who have mortgages resetting. Uh, they're, they, well, if they got a loan, they're at, you know, in, two, in 2021, they're, they're at 3% and, and it's 3% forever. So those, at least it feels a little healthier on that side to me.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think overall the market is, is much healthier right now. Um, actually i mean my biggest concern is that the the response to the pandemic actually has unintended consequences and ripple effects that that lead to another housing bubble um and i don't know if we have a lot of time to get into that but you know, we've talked about that a little bit um is is uh yeah lead Actually, going into the pandemic, we were actually kind of what i would i would say describe as coming in for a nice soft landing in the housing market and a much needed soft landing into if you look back in two thousand and nineteen, home price appreciation was slowing down depending on whose numbers you look at to single digits, very low single digits um and then we had all all this stimulus come into the market and create this frenzy of of buying that's created this uh this market that we've seen over the last few years yeah um so
0: let me ask you a couple of more things on the on the data side um are there we talked about your saves per property which is an indicator of investor interest so if you've got 44 investors looking at properties and saving it that that's indicator, a leading indicator of whether they're going to bid on them and you can and you said that you've seen that number come down especially in the southeast and the west where the the bigger big investor markets um and i think it's notable that it's not really coming down in the northeast um or the rust belt so are are there other data that you have visibility to at auction.com that is unique to the world
1: yeah, another. I think another key one, a couple other key ones, but I'll mention the other. Uh, first one is we look at the winning bid uh, as a percentage of the the estimated as is value of the property. Excuse me. Um, so when when we get the property, the seller says we, and this is usually based on an exterior drive by of the home because you can't get inside. Um, But based on that, here's the value of the property. And then the winning bid is a percentage of that. Yeah, so we've seen that drop. I mean, well, during the pandemic, echoing kind of the mirroring kind of the frenzy in the overall market, we saw that rise. And so people were paying on our platform um, 90 to 95% of that estimated as-is value, which is crazy before... You know the average before the pandemic, um, just looking at this really quickly, was below eighty percent, um like seventy eight percent. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, during the pandemic, the the frenzy, we saw that rise up to ninety and even as high as ninety five percent in some months. Um, so, but now, since again that topped out in February, there was a it, it hit ninety one percent in February, and since then it's it's dropped, and we're now actually at seventy eight percent in July, the most okay. recent month. Oh, so people are paying um, less. They're willing to. They're setting their maximum allowable offer at auction lower because they're they're bidding more conservatively, conservatively and I think that's a real sign that the investors are becoming a little more cautious of the market they're not again they're not fleeing the market but they're they're becoming more cautious and kind of hedging their their bids based on that
0: yeah so so we're at a normal level of of value bidding right now you'd say we're back to a normal level of value bidding we um we we And you can imagine that investors come to a platform like auction.com, like part of the point is that I'm getting the asset for less than it's worth. Like part of the trade is that, is that I'm getting it less than its value. That's why I go work. I I go to an auction. Um, And so, but, and so the discount from that value is back to normal level. Do you have a sense whether that's going to keep falling or it's going to like, can you see the slope of the curve? Is it accelerating or
1: is it is it, uh, have we hit a bottom? Yeah, I'm looking at it. It has definitely not hit a bottom yet. Um, now that 78%, as I said, is actually happens to be kind of the mean. So if we revert to the mean, I would expect expect it to um, bottom out soon at around that, that number. Um, but it's fallen very quickly from, from, from from the 90s. 90%. Yeah. yeah. And to be clear that that so that's based on the as is value of the home. Of course, a lot of investors are looking estimating the after repair value, which is much higher. So the discount below the after repair value would be more than that. Um, You know, at, at 78, 78% actually is, is, uh is getting pretty good 22% below that as is value. But it's more like sixty percent below the after repair value, anyway. Yeah. Just to make that clarification, but yeah, to your point, that they're they're pulling back, um, and uh, if it doesn't bottom out, then that's actually a bigger concern uh, for the market, in my view, that the investors are not as confident, the, uh, yeah, in the market.
0: So exactly, like we're we're here, and then so we really want to know next. Next month, and you know we got to keep our eye on that uh, to know whether that's whether the the investors are getting more and more cold feet. There'll be. Uh, do you have a sense on whether that leads some of the other market data, for example, um, you know, like transaction prices or something like that that we can go you can go look you do you have a sense of like is that is that a leading or a coincident or a
1: lagging indicator um we've done some research around that and it i mean it 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 looks like a leading indicator well if we combine that that metric the winning bid over the seller value or the as-is value with um with actually the saves number that I I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. and and run a regression on that we can there's a pretty strong correlation uh, by about a, a month uh, to the existing home m- median existing home prices that NAR puts out yep um home price appreciation and so it's it's not a it's not leading by a ton but uh, so but but this July number if we ran that through the that regression we would be able to predict what NAR is, NAR's is an ar's existing home home price appreciation is is going to be for August um and of course they don't release their August number until <laughs> September so there is there's a little bit of a lead there and 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 all of that is pointing to continued decrease in in that price which maybe isn't earth-shattering news but that that price probably going below or that price appreciation going below double digits very soon. Yeah. In the next few months. That makes a lot of sense to me.
0: Now, um okay, so do you have let's shift gears. Let's talk about the future for a second. Um I am interested and when I talk to folks on this podcast I'm I'm interested in their views of the future in particular i'm you know i'm interested in what makes what makes a tank from here what what are the what are the risks uh that maybe we people don't talk about enough um but also like where do you actually see it and what what um you know where do you do do you think there are risks or do you think that it's more likely to do another thing? So let's talk a little bit about the future. Where do you see the future next couple of years in the housing market? Um, uh, what risks should we be paying attention to that maybe don't get enough uh don't get enough uh, attention?
1: Yeah, I think um I think the housing market is responding to the the efforts of of the Fed. <laughs> uh primarily to and slowing down and i think that's exactly what should happen and needs to happen to prevent another another housing bubble and if we're not already in one and so i see if that if that continues and the fed sticks to its plan in terms of raising interest rates that should slow down the housing market in a healthy way and um and we could potentially achieve that kind of soft landing scenario that we were already on in route for back in, in 2019. Um, it had this kind of this uh, detour here over the last couple of years. That I think is probably still the most likely scenario in my mind. and And of course, we look at that because it impacts what our, you know, what our volumes are gonna look like. And if that were to happen, we would see um, this is at a market level, not just our numbers, but we would see foreclosure volume and foreclosure volume back in twenty nineteen if you look at completed foreclosure auctions, which includes those that um that are brought to auction and uh, that sell anyway that those were two hundred and six thousand in that soft landing scenario, we see that um returning. By the way, sorry, I keep on interrupting myself here, but the uh, the number in 2021 was only about 63,000. So we're really so low. 200
0: and some thousand completed in 2019 to 63,000 yeah. in twenty Like 63,000 is nothing.
1: It's nothing. No. Yeah. Yeah. And so that the soft landing scenario, we would see that return basically to the 200,000 levels and kind of plateau there. Um, and there is this I do think there's a increasing chance here of the the recession scenario that a lot of people are talking about in the house in the economy, which would of course uh, impact the housing market, or at least I believe would impact the housing market. And in that scenario where you would see some rising unemployment, um, you would see home prices, I think, in some markets uh, go negative, nationwide flatten out, maybe go slightly negative. Uh, nationwide, and in that scenario, we'd see foreclosure volume rise to as as high as four hundred and fifty thousand in twenty twenty four. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I know this is a lot of speculation, but that's uh, somewhere between those two scenarios is how I see the the market playing out. And I think, to the extent that we don't try. Uh, efforts aren't made, um, to cool off the housing market sooner rather than later, um, you know, the housing market will cool off itself, (laughs) uh, more severely later if it's not done sooner, if that makes sense. So, yeah. So um, that's a
0: real interesting forecast. Uh, so let me see if I got it right. Um, normally we might have 200, 250,000, uh, foreclosure completions in a year. Peak pandemic, twenty twenty one, we had sixty three thousand, which is like it makes sense. It's the same ratio of active inventory to you know normal to now. Like all of those things seem like they're in that same bucket, where where um, you know like the market was hot for all those reasons and across all those metrics. So normally is two two hundred or two fifty. Last year we had sixty three thousand. Like that's nothing, um, because you know you. Probably <laughs> and that's have why we say in we have Vegas a backlog. There is a backlog. Yeah, you probably yeah. had those in Vegas alone in 2007. Right? Oh yeah, no um, question. Yeah. And so, uh, so then, in a recessionary world, let's say we go into a sharp recession in 2023, then by 2024 we probably see 450,000 foreclosure completions. Like that's the, that's the big recession scenario. Is that, is that right?
1: Yeah. I, I would say I would describe it as a mild recession scenario. Oh, oh that's the mild. Um, okay. Yeah. Mild. So that's the, you know, and that has unemployment going up to just, I mean, this is kind of crazy, just about 6%. Um, nothing, okay. Nothing crazy. So uh, and, and mortgage rates hitting 6% as well. Um, so yeah I would I would still describe that as a mild recession scenario yeah for
0: sure okay so but that would put at risk a bunch of those buyers FHA buyers uh especially uh buyers that that bought in early this year in the hot markets uh there'd be a few of those folks that'd be that would that'd be at most risk and and then you lose your job and like things stumble then then that those are when when those start happening
1: so what happens you do have the twin twin issues of loss of job and that scenario also has slight downturn in pricing in -hmm. home prices and so you had that combination is can be really lethal for for some homeowners yeah
0: for for sure and you know and I could watch it we we could correlate it uh the default rate to the we use our market action index but which is a supply versus demand but you could also do it versus uh, the time on market so if i'm looking at the the median days on market at uh you know at uh, 200 days in my neighborhood and i lose my job i'm never gonna sell this house but you know in 2021 if if I lose my job and I'm in weird situation, the median market time is seven days. Mm-hmm. Like I'll go sell a house and that's, you know, therefore, you know, like I'll put it on and it'll be done before I even miss a mortgage payment. Like the whole thing, like, it's really, it's really incredible that way um, yeah. when when the market time was seven. So th- therefore we ended up with only 63,000 foreclosures at that, that, that year. Um, yep. So you know, watching market time climb, uh, at the same time as we hit, you know, we flatline, and I think we're going to flatline on home prices based on the fact that we are, uh, that inventory is climbing year over year, uh, pretty significantly. So it's still lower than than normal, but, but, uh, like it, I think we're going to see flatlined on, on home price gain over the next year. Um, uh, and recession so like a all of those things hit do you have a quick take um on what happens in a severe recession
1: yeah we haven't modeled that specifically but uh that you know i think that's the that the, that 450000 um can quickly go up i mean the problem it becomes I think somewhat it's always there's a psychological element to this too, but it becomes in that scenario um, uh, there's a there's an exponential ex ex- exponential effect on on some of these things with with the psychological impact, so I don't have a number to spit out, but I think that number can quickly become quite higher by the way, to put it in context at the peak of the last um crisis in 2009 we we saw just over a million uh foreclosures so even the 450,000 is less than half of that peak yeah but yeah a, a, a more severe recession and i think that becomes you know y- your initial question here which i may not have really answered is what's the risk that nobody is is thinking about and i think and i think there's probably plenty of people thinking about this but the risk i think about is if we continue to try to keep saving the housing market um, that actually puts us at risk for the housing market at some point, you know, being a house of cards that collapses because it's just being saved over and over again, if that, um, if that makes sense. And so to the extent we try to keep stimulating or saving the housing market, um we get we get at more risk for that more severe recessionary at least uh, in the housing market uh scenario
0: yeah the forest has to it naturally has to burn a little bit each year and if it doesn't burn a little bit each year one year it burns really big
1: yeah that's great great analogy I, coming from northern california that's right person <laughs> and i who know. can't get
0: insurance on his house <laughs> oh
1: my goodness yeah.
0: Um, So, uh, um, Darren, this is really terrific. Like we've covered a bunch of things um, uh, where you do a lot of posting on LinkedIn, a lot of people follow you on LinkedIn, a lot of great data there. Is that a good place for people to follow and, and track along with your with your output?
1: Yes. Yeah. I, I'm um, that that would be the best place, uh, I think, to follow it on auction.com where where we post a lot of my stuff is auction.com forward slash in the news. Okay. And just uh, all one word in the news. Yep. And, uh, yeah. And post, yeah, post a lot of great stuff there. Um, one of the favorite things that I've been doing lately is going out and interviewing some of our buyers on location and we have some videos there so that's really cool Uh, but yeah those those are probably the two best places i try you know i try to be a twitter guy once in a while but i'm not really a twitter i'm not cut out for twitter so (laughs) that may not be the best place to consistently see my stuff great
0: uh well i'm going to go watch some of the videos the the interview with some of the buyers Um, love to see those you know now august you know are they changing are their takes changing you you know, interviewing a buyer in in Boise or, or you know, Phoenix right now or something like that to see where where uh, what their what their take is.
1: Yeah, yeah, that actually we don't we don't do as much timely stuff with the buyers. It's more about uh, their story of what they're doing in their community. So okay, uh, I just don't want to set you up for I get yeah, it. set your expectations totally up, but. I we actually that would be really cool to do more of that. Is the like just the quick takes on what's going on in your market right now?
0: Yeah, and I suppose when you do that, you know, you you you, you get their story. You understand about whether they're in this for the long haul, and it goes back to our conversation about you know, are they the backstop or are they the catalyst for a for a, you know a faster uh, tanking market?
1: Yeah. And I would answer there, I would say the buyers we have right now are more of the backstop. There are certainly more of the buyers who are just jumping into the market because it's a hot market. But a lot of them are the the folks who are in a, just buying in a certain community, and they've been doing it for 20 plus years. And they're not they're also not, not the big institutional investors. A lot of people think those are the folks buying it foreclosure auction. There might be a little bit of that going on that we see, but most of the people in our data are buying less than ten properties a year from us. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I see. It. I I I'm confident in our buyers, uh, but as as providing at least one form of backstop in in their local markets.
0: That's that's terrific. Uh, yeah, the vast majority of real estate investors in this country are individuals with a handful of properties like 90 some percent of of all that and and even though the the big hedge funds are get all that get get a lot of press it's like this is like you know people getting one or two properties and holding on to one or two and and or maybe building a small portfolio a few a year um and uh like that's who yeah. that's who owns the properties in the US. Um, okay, Darren, terrific. Really appreciate your time and your insight. That's exactly what we like to do with the Top of Mind podcast. Uh, everybody, this has been the Top of Mind Podcast. I'm Mike Simonson, and we've been talking a lot about the data. If you need to get the data for your local markets, go to altosresearch.com because you know, buyers and sellers right now absolutely need to know what's going on and a lot of the dynamics that darren and i've been talking about are reflected in the data so that you can communicate these trends to those buyers and sellers right now to investors right now what do they need to know especially if they're uh, out of market investors buying into your town lots of real opportunity out there and everybody needs to know so that's why we have altos research so everybody top of mind podcast i'm mike thanks More next week Thanks for listening to Top of Mind. See you again next time and be sure to click subscribe to get future episodes.